This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Yusinelli Podcast, podcast episode number 84. We're doing this on a Wednesday, May 31st, and a lot of things to talk about because there is some current news, so let's go into the current, and uh, of course, we got to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by the great people at Bet Rivers. Uh, I cashed in on a couple bets through the Bet Rivers app, including betting the Miami Heat in Game 7. Uh, also, we'll have Alvin Williams coming up. Alvin Williams, who does the broadcast for the Toronto Raptors, is well-versed with Nick Nurse's coaching style and uh, also, of course, a former Villanova star. We'll talk a little bit about the, the Villanova Wildcats with Alvin Williams. So let's get into what we call at the top of the podcast, the current. The Sixers get their man. Uh, arguably he was the number one choice by everybody out there. He was the highest profile coach who was available. Nick Nurse, who uh, got let go by the Toronto Raptors after a, a very successful run there in Toronto, and then it kind of weathered at the end and, and withered. Um, so let's let's uh, let's see what we have here with Nick Nurse. By all accounts, it's a good hire for the Sixers. Now, um, he does things differently. So, again, for me – the personnel has to fit. It has to blend. I am less concerned with the coach's name than I am about the players who blend. I think if you get players that blend, the NBA is a player's league. You have to have players that are like gears that mesh together. We have seen it in the playoffs. The most connected teams are the ones that win, and you just can't tack a star onto a team and think you're going to win. They have to blend. Uh, with the players, the coach is responsible for bringing out their best attributes and blending. Okay, so Nick Nurse has pretty much done that in his career. We're talking about a guy who has won some championships. He's won three championships. Two were in the G League, but I think it proves that he can coach guys into a collective that can win. And, of course, the NBA championship in 2019 that we remember very well with Kawhi Leonard leading the Raptors and the, the four-bouncer that went in. They went on to win the NBA title under Nick Nurse. So the resume is pretty good. He is also known as a very innovative defensive coach. He does some wild things that his players buy into. 
And we'll get to that later, whether the Sixers have the personnel to buy into the things he, he, he does. If you remember, in the 2019 final, he sprung a box and one on Steph Curry. Now, that is unheard of on an NBA level. You'll see that in college. You'll see it in high school where you, you, you shackle the star player. In the NBA, it's rarely done because it's a switching defensive league with athletic players who can play multi-positions. He did the box and one on Steph. It, it worked. Um, he he went. He loses Kawhi, okay? And everybody goes, ah, oh, there it goes. There go. Nick Nurse takes Toronto to a 53-19 and 19 record the next year uh, by switching his philosophy to longer athletic defenders uh, and, and and using, uh, of all things, a full-court press. Uh, now, NBA players don't like to do that either. And, and the one drawback that Nick Nurse has is he'll run his starting players a little longer than, than most. In this day and age, in load management, in being conscious of resting players through the regular season, he's managed to play his starters a lot of minutes. Um, I don't know if that's going to work or not. Um, also, his philosophy is this protect the paint, and get hard closeouts on shooters. Now, that's easier said than done because your perimeter players have to be quick enough to get out on shooters. But he protects the paint, and and he puts a lot of stress on his guards and his perimeter players to be athletic enough to get out to defend open three-point shots. And that's what the NBA is right now. So let's now project that to the Sixers. Does that mean that James Harden, if he's here, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris could be those type of players that can get out on shooters. I'm thinking that he's going to have to be innovative with this particular personnel. We don't know if Harden's going to be back yet, but if he is, how does he utilize Harden? Okay. Now, he doesn't play a lot of drop coverage. The Sixers have been a drop coverage team under uh, Doc Rivers, where they'll, they'll drop in most cases it's the center in a, in a pick and roll league, the drop defender is, is the one that had guards the screener. So the screener comes up, the guy follows the screener. The Sixers have kind of backed off that philosophy where they don't go to the guy who's screening the, 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 the player. So they can be in position on a pick and roll to defend the pick and roll. Nick nurse likes to get his guys out on that. He doesn't play drop coverage. He makes sure his guys get out on the screener and be quick enough to defend if if that guy who gets the ball in a pick and roll is going to go to the basket. So now we have an MB problem. I've already given you a Harden, Maxi, and Tobias problem. Now we have an MB problem. Um, he also uh, uh, his half court offense was not very good. The Sixers are a half court offensive team in their current form, right? Uh, James Harden is is not a transition player. The, the Sixers were not a team that moved the ball a lot. He likes cutting, moving players on his offense in his half. But his off half court offense wasn't very good last year for the Raptors, and that was one of the reasons he got fired. So we're talking about a guy who is adaptable as a coach, who may have to adapt with this personnel unless Maury changes the personnel drastically in the off season, which I don't think is possible. Now, he's got an association with Maury, so he knows what Maury likes. Maury knows what he likes. So at least we have that kind of blend because they worked before uh, in Houston, and they know each other. Um, but he's, here's the thing that he's different 
most people will tell you than Doc Rivers that he is a, a great in-game play designer. So, in other words, he reads what's going on and he adapts to it and he designed plays to attack whatever the other team is doing. Doc Rivers didn't do that very well. For all Doc Rivers was, he wasn't a great in, in-game play designer to counteract what a team was doing. Uh, so that's Nick Nurse in a nutshell. So um, let me bring in Darren, producer Darren. Darren, the the hire, your opinion of the hire, I, I think it's the best hire they could have made. Whether it's going to work is another matter. Uh, well, I, the, the impression of Doc Rivers in this city is like you said, he doesn't do anything in game, particularly in the fourth quarter when this team has melted down. Uh game after game in big spots year after year, the big leads against Atlanta, against Toronto, um, falling apart against Boston at the end. So and what, what Nurse does, like you said, he brings in an in-game uh, strategist where he's going to design some plays at the end to change the game around. How about, you know, how many people screamed and for how long at the end, in the fourth quarter, you know, do something different, run a play. And Doc just seems to run him out there, just go ahead, do your thing. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this team responds to Nurse. All right, here's the other thing about Nick Nurse. He's not afraid to rip his players in public, all right? Now, most of your players loathe that, and that wears out. You know, This is like a hockey coach who does that. Like, the, If you look at all the hockey coaches that burn out, it, most of them, and you know, like give, give Tortorella for an example, most of them get tired of getting ripped by the guy. Now, in the case of the Sixers, I think it might be good. Now, I don't know about if Harden's going to be back because he doesn't care about who the coach is or what the coach says. He's going to be James Harden, and he's not going to be offended if he gets ripped. But he could hold it against you. I think this does wonders for Embiid. I think whenever Embiid is challenged that he's not doing the right thing to exemplify his talents, he comes back with a vengeance. We've seen it many times, even when Shaq and Barkley rip him, he makes sure, like, uh, he gets mad, and he says, yeah, I'll show those guys. I think this could be good for Embiid. Oh, yeah? That guy doesn't think I'm doing What? Wait, do you see this? I, I think it'd be. I think Nick Nurse has the psychological keys to Joel Embiid, which I think is a, a real big advantage for the Sixers going forward. Now, it may wear out, but I think right now the Eagles need, like, uh, the shock chemical in the pool that clears it up. And I think that maybe is Nick Nurse right now. All right, so there you go. The new chapter with the Philadelphia 76ers, but kind of the same old personnel. If they lose Harden, what do they do? I think he could be innovative enough to get around losing Harden and not replacing Harden with a star, but just rolling with a maxi and then finding guys like the Scotty Barnes of the world who fill in that way. And I think the Anthony Melton could be utilized pretty well by Nick Nurse. He's not as talented as Scotty Barnes, but Nick, uh, uh, the Anthony Melton type players usually flourish under Nick Nurse. Who knew about Fred Van Vliet? He made Fred Van Vliet into a really good player. So, uh, We'll see what happens with that. I think it's the best hire they could have made in retrospect. I think it's better than Budenholzer. I think it's better than Monty Williams. I think it's certainly better than Mike D'Antoni, where everybody was afraid that he would be the coach, uh, and and they finally got him. And I thought it was noble what Nick Nurse did in Milwaukee. He wanted one of two jobs. He either wanted the Phoenix job or he wanted the Sixers job. 
the Sixers made a harder push, and they also had Maury in his in his corner for him to select Philadelphia. The Milwaukee job, he figures if he pulls himself out of that, his assistant Adrian Griffin gets it. So he's a nobleman. He pulled out of Milwaukee. Adrian Griffin gets that job. He gets the Sixers job. Everything went well for the guy. He got the job he wanted. He got his assistant the job that he wanted to break into the NBA as a head coach. So nice job by Nick Nurse. And we are working on getting Nick Nurse on this podcast. I can tell you right now that we're working really hard on getting Nick Nurse to sit in on the podcast. So hopefully we can get his philosophies directly. But uh, that's all we got with Nick Nurse as the Sixers coach. All right, let's move on to the NBA Plus because it's worth talking about. The finals are finally set. It's the Miami Heat who survived after going up 3-0, then lost three straight. And we'll get into the dynamics of that game seven. They will play the Denver Nuggets. So I'll tell you right now, Denver wins it in five. All right? I, I'm sorry. I, I think the Heat is a great story. The Denver Nuggets are the most connected team in the NBA. If there's a game they're going to lose, it might be game one because they've sat out 11 days and Miami's coming off a high. But to me, Denver takes control of this series. I think they win it in five. They win game five at home. They lock up the series. I've already bet it. I bet it two weeks ago. When I didn't even know who the opponent was. That's how highly I think of Denver. And right now, it's a very high price to bet Denver. So I got it at the right time as they play the Miami Heat. But let's look at uh, Game 7. The Heat uh, did what I call survived and conquered. It's funny how people react to certain things. Like, the whole world thought, because Boston won that Game 6, that they they were just going to go on and win Game 7. And I think... Boston thought the same thing. I thought they thought they won the series after they won game six because the dynamic is, oh, my God, how can Miami get off the mat now and go all the way to Boston and win a game seven? And I looked at it the opposite way. I looked at it like, oh, my God, Boston thinks they won the series. They don't even have to play a game seven. They think they won the series, which means the Miami Heat are going to stay close because they're not a team that's going to get blown out. They never get blown out. They hang in there, hang in there. They're tough. They're resilient. Boston was a seven and a half point favorite. I was this close to betting the money line on the Heat, and I chickened out and I took the seven, which I thought was a rocking chair ride. The Heat winds up, and the scenario plays out where the Celtics come out like they always come out, missing in action thinking they could just show up and win that game seven because they got this rabid home crowd behind them. And from the jump, they weren't ready to play. Now, it didn't help that Tatum rolled his ankle. I get it. He wasn't 100% full strength. I love these people in Boston bitching and moaning about, oh, Jason Tatum wasn't 100% when they just saw a series where Joel Embiid played with a, with a torn knee tendon, right? Like, that, that didn't matter. But Jason Tatum rolling his ankle really mattered. All right, whatever you want to say. Um, the 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 heat uh in game six really should have won that game i mean they, they were close enough to win it even though they didn't have any business winning the game so when a team has that they go my god we could have won this game six like we, ha, we're not gonna fall off the off the cliff here because we lost the game six we were right there and probably should have won it if not for a fluke basket so why would we not have confidence to win game seven a- and they played with great confidence um, you know, um, the, the, I feel sorry for Boston. Not at all. All right. I, I don't feel sorry for Boston at all. They were exposed. Uh, and especially, uh, Jalen Brown, who I used to like, 
he's a fraud. He's a total fraud. He turned the ball over eight times in a game seven at home. And and uh, so I don't know what Boston's going to do. I don't care. They're a flimsy team. They always were a flimsy team. The Sixers should have disposed of that team. They didn't. And then Boston got their, their comeuppance. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Of course, the hot story in Philadelphia with the new coach of Philadelphia 76ers being Nick Nurse. This is a man who played for the Raptors for many years. Ten years in the NBA, eight with the Raptors. Now does the uh, NBA uh, analysis for Rogers Sportsnet on Raptors games. Uh, but he still makes Philly his home. And he runs, by the way, a, a wonderful youth basketball program called the Academy of Hoops right here in the Philadelphia area. He is the pride of Villanova and also the pride of Germantown Academy. Alvin Williams joins us. Hello, Alvin. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Uh, doing good. Let, let, let's get the business hand because you've been around Nick Nurse uh, uh, for a while. So uh, tell the Philadelphia fans what they're getting here uh, as a head coach for the, the Sixers replacing Doc. Oh, you're getting a coach that, you know, I believe from my my experience and was watching him, he gets the most out of his players. He, he really gets his players to buy in to uh, the philosophy, whatever the philosophy is. I've watched this man, you know, construct boxing ones, things that are just so traditional in the NBA, and he has the reputation of thinking outside the box. But I've watched him full-court press. I've watched him do a lot of different things, switching defenses, things that you see in the NBA today. But he was one of those guys originally that, that was doing something. Well, I won't say originally, but he was doing those things early in his career. But the biggest thing was, no matter if it was a veteran team or a younger team, they all bought in and they did it with detail. They did it with intention. So that let me know that he has the ear of the players in that locker room. They're willing to do what he's asking them to do. And that's trust. And that's, you know, players buying in. So I think he, he's bringing that as well as, you know, just that ability to hold players accountable and 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 have a scheme and, and, and a philosophy that's going to work to the personnel. All right, talk to me about that scheme, because a lot of people think he's very innovative outside the box, especially uh, defensive principles. Uh, he he has, uh, you know, done it after uh, uh, Kawhi left. Uh, he did it with longer athletic players and, and um, switching and all that kind of thing. So uh, and he's got a different team now. I mean, he's got Harden comes back. It's a, it's a slower guard. Um, and, and with Embiid, you can't do a lot of the things that he, that he would do with Siakam. So what, how do you see this adjustment working out? What, do you, what kind of things do you think he would run with this kind of a team? I mean, outside of, you know, the junk defenses and just throwing things up or whatever the adjustments are, I think his basic or his fundamental philosophy will be pressuring the ball, a lot of ball pressure, which you think about a James Harden, you know, just pressuring up at half court, like started, starting your defense the point of your defense at half court and fighting over screens and not always switching or late switches after you fight over screens, being very physical on the defensive end. But and that 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 goes well, I think, when you have a Joel Embiid that's protecting the paint. I know as a guard or former guard, when you had a big guy back behind you, it gave you the freedom and the, the confidence to pressure up. Because if you got blown by, you have somebody to defend you. So I think that fundamental philosophy will be there. But also, they have the players have to be ready for one to be in shape because it's going to be high intensity. It's going to be high level. And Nick has shown in the past that he will play his best players the bulk of the minutes. He's not he's not really big on that load management stuff. If he's finding out that's not helping his team win, so he's going to play his best players the bulk of the minutes. 
Is that good or bad in today's NBA? <laughs> those, those guys don't like to play a lot of minutes in the regular season. Exactly. I love it. And, you know, a lot of the players, they get they get the blame for it. But, you know, today's the way things are set up with with sports science and how the players are monitored and where their levels are from energy level and performance and peak performance is so much that goes behind that who makes that decision of who is playing, how much they're playing. So but I think it's going to have they're going to have to collaborate because Nick Nurse is a coach. He has to win games. So I think his biggest thing is who's going to be out here on this floor and how long they're going to be out on this floor for me to win these games. Talking to Albert Williams, of course, Villanova, great, uh, Germantown Academy, great, and uh, he is the analyst uh, for the uh, Toronto Raptors games. Also uh, was an NBA assistant with the Raptors and director of player uh, development uh, at one point with the Raptors. So you just brought up something that's really intriguing to me, pressuring the ball. Um, I don't see James Harden as that type of player. Um, I think Maxie is also defensively deficient. The one guy that fits that category would be DeAnthony Melton. Uh, but I don't know if they have enough of those type of players. So will he have to change? I mean, he, he may have to, depending on his roster, right? As you just mentioned, it's not the same Toronto Raptors roster. Raptors last year in the past few years had a very unique roster where you had, as you mentioned, a lot of the same size. Same structure, stature, length, and agility, and uh, athleticism. And those guys really could guard. Whether they were smaller, but they could really guard their position. And they can cause havoc. And they can meet people at the rim because they were long. So that was something I think Nick Nurse took advantage of because of the way the roster was constructed. Now, with different personnel, he's going to have to change or be willing to change or look into something different. But I think, once again... The ball pressure, and you'll see it uh, across the NBA a lot because they want to take away that three-point shot. And they're allowing ball pressures on pick and rolls where they switch it and they stay into the ball a lot of the time. So you don't see, like back in the day, there were different defenses. Like you may go under pick and roll. You may hedge a pick and roll. You may trap a pick and roll. You may early rotate. Now it's pretty much settled on we're going to fight over or we're going to switch it or play a zone. So I think he has to be willing to, to change but or adjust. But I see his philosophy as it's been in the past, a lot of ball pressure. Yeah, he, he uh, uh, well, uh, you know, he doesn't play a lot of drop coverage, which the, the, the Embiid likes to do. <laughs> uh, not going to follow that screener out there. And and also uh, in the half court offense, um, uh, he didn't have a great half court offense last year, Nick Nurse. So with Embiid, who now is very conscious about and more comfortable about playing on the perimeter and not in the box primarily. Uh, does Nick Nurse see that as that's a guy that I need to play in the box? I, I would I would hope so because that's I think that's the one part that the Sixers are missing at critical times of the game. When you have a Joel Embiid who's uber talented and he can do so many things on the floor, it's hard to hold that person back. He can shoot the basketball. He can handle the basketball. He can drive it. He can post up. So I think what the biggest thing is from coaching, we'll have to – teach them how to do certain things at certain times. When the game is coming down to critical times, you got to use your strength or you got to be ready to adjust. But I hope Nick Nurse can do that. I haven't seen Nick Nick Nurse coach a traditional big man that can dominate the paint like a Joel Embiid. And a lot of coaches, to me, they don't like that style of play any longer. It stagnates. It doesn't get the ball popping. And when you have someone like a Joel Embiid that, can dominate the post one thing he has to do is be a great passer out of there and until he gets that ability which he is getting better at I think coaches won't find it so 
appetizing to have him just locked down there in the paint. So Nick, he'll have to make that adjustment. But it, it'd be a fun one to him try to make. Yeah, I mean, he, listen, he said he had Marcus Saul at the top uh, making making passes, uh, you know, running that high post with the center. Um, and B is not that. Nope. And then B, when he gets it there, especially at the nail, holds it a little bit. And you know, I and I know Nick Nurse likes to pop the ball, move the ball. I this is going to be an interesting transition. I I don't know. But here's the other thing about about Nick Nurse. He's not afraid to lay out a player publicly, Alvin. And uh and, and that's unusual in the NBA because the guys get into shells and then they go, Okay, I don't want to be here. And it, it's a completely different mindset with with these kind of guys. I think that may be good for Embiid. I don't think it'll be good for Harden if he's here. <laughs> yeah, mate. And and as a coach, you got to realize, you know, you got to pick and choose. You can't, you can't, you can't be that that coach. Not not today's generation. It's, it's if you want to get the most out of your players, and if you want to, I don't want to say job security, but unfortunately, these players they they they're running it a lot of the times. They're making decisions. The front office is there going into it with it. But I'm not mad at. You know, you call out a player. I'm not mad at it, and and I think Joel Embiid, as you mentioned, he's fine with it because I, I know he wants to be great. James Harden, you know, he's he earned his stripes. He's an older, he's a veteran player, and he's not he's not going to I don't think take too kind kind to it. But if he's here or not, but Nick has to he has to be who he is, and that's the biggest thing. You have to hold these guys accountable. You got to make sure. They they ha- they are responsible for their actions as well as he is. So I think Nick Nurse will do a good job at that, and I think the fan base will enjoy that and appreciate that. All right, let's talk about Harden a little bit because I need to get you as a former NBA guard and your perspective in the league. Um, you know, I think that most Sixer fans after Game Seven were kind of done with them. Um, fans have a way of reacting where they go, okay, well, what's the replacement then? Yeah, you're done with them. What's the replacement? Right. Exactly. But but at this point. He looks like a guy. Really, he's losing juice, and he didn't. He it took him three games to rebound from a really good performance to come back with a really, really good performance. The, the, at this point, is he a hamper or is he a, an advantage for the Sixers? In other words, would would they be okay without him? With this current roster, I don't think so. I don't. I think you take a step back without him. Um, he still commands respect from other teams he still commands game plan and attention from other teams that can alleviate some of the pressure off of off of uh the other players maxi and and joel and beat but at the same time when you use him with a high usage rating and and a usage percentage i think that could hamper you because with him handling the ball a lot taking some of the shots and you know he can facilitate he can manipulate the game but at the end of the day i think overall without him and with no no replacement, the Sixers are taking a step back. Okay, uh, <laughs> so that puts them they're yeah, hamstrung sure. because it, it, he, he, he you know he can elect to go where there is an offer, and Houston is probably going to give him that offer. They have a ton of money uh, money under the cap. Uh, what like what would be the advantage for him to go there? as opposed to staying with the Sixers and trying to win something. Is he a type of player who's at that stage where, you know, winning, who cares? I, You know, it, it's now about the money. It's now about my comfortability. It's my hometown, Houston, all that kind of thing. What's in his head, do you think? You know, I, I don't know James at all. I always respected him and, and looked at his game from afar. But, um, you know, at this phase of his career, it's different now. If you're, if you're going to win – you got to come in there with the mindset. You got to be in tip-top shape. 
You you have to have the mentality where you're going to be that player every single night, especially in winning time. So you have to have that mentality. You have to have that preparation. You have to have those people around you. And you have to be one of those cogs that that's just, that's always going to be consistent. In Houston, I can go for the money and I can, you know, be a part of a losing situation. I think ultimately the decision he makes is going to show you where he is in his career. If he wants to stay in the Sixers and go for some wins and push for a championship, then he has to adjust some things. He has to adjust the way he approaches the game. You know, there's times where he looks like he's tired. You have a new coach. He's going to require you to play a lot of minutes. He's going to require you to put multiple efforts on defense. So are you ready for that? Are you there for that? And and you'll see. In Houston, that's not going to be required. You know, not night in and night out. You know, he has a good coach there now that's going to be very, you know, demanding and, and Udoka, but he it, it, it's not a winning situation. So if he stays here in Philadelphia, he has to be ready for what's coming with that. And it's going to be a lot of criticism because, you know, in Philly, the second round is not cutting it anymore. Yeah. I think he's going to Houston, by, by the way, for, for that particular reason. So so let me let me just get into your background because I, I think you have a fascinating background. Uh, you wind up at GA, where GA is now starting to they, they're just starting to build something there. Uh, you know, you had you had the Episcopals, and you know they they would get those kind of players. All of a sudden, here comes GA out of the box with Fenerty, and you get there, and you really start the resurgence of GA basketball. Uh, and who else went with you? Who, did, what, who was on your GA team that year? Oh well. I got, I got an opportunity to start as a freshman, so I've had multiple players. I had starting out a guy by the name of LT Tally. He um, was from the Roxborough area, ended up going to Westchester, and then he graduated. We played two years together. Then after that, we had a we had a bunch of guys. We had a Dennis Kane, Larry Leith, Dennis I mean Damon Williams, James Oliver, Blair Hicks. So we just had a bunch of guys on our team that um, we were pretty much the same size. And we all pretty much were ninth graders all together. Some played JV, some played varsity, and we grew up playing together. And we just we were very effective playing together. Yeah, you were you were the the, the star resurgence for him. Now, where would you have gone if it wasn't GA? How did you get the GA? Obviously, obviously, you recruited the GA, but where would you have gone? So, so that's that's the story that everyone everyone thinks I was recruited there. I went there in seventh grade. And, oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I left, I left a public school in my neighborhood of Mount Airy, um, F.S. Edmonds, and I would have went to Leeds, and then I would have I went to Martin Luther King. That were my neighborhood schools. But my dad, he always said, I want you to see something different. And I remember my first time visiting Germantown Academy. Like, I left, I left my school in sixth grade and visited there for the day, and I thought it was paradise. I was. I saw kids eating lunch under the trees. They were barefoot. They were sitting on the grass. And I was like, "What the hell? Like this? We still got to line up to go to the bathroom and ask the teacher for water from the water fountain at Edmonds." So, and I was like, "This is an unbelievable environment." And I was like, "I want to go." The teachers were nice, and a guy by the name of Mr. McVeigh, Peter McVeigh, he he just took me under his wing right from the beginning. But as soon as I got there, I wanted to leave. What a, yeah, you wanted to leave. Why? Because it was basically Caucasian University. It was like a culture shock for you, right? Oh, my goodness. It was something where, you know, I just, it was something where I, academically it was a challenge. Socially it was a challenge. And I tell anybody now when their kids, just when they decide to send their kids to private schools, it's a big burden on the family. You know, 
you know, financially, we weren't we weren't getting financial support. So my dad had to pay financially 100 percent of it at that time. Um, the, the, the location, I couldn't get rides all the time. So other people had to sacrifice in the household. So it, it was a big burden on our family. So it was, it was something where it panned out. But it was my dad's dream to have me witness and be a part of and, and share cultures and just have more experience. Basketball was not it. Like my dad was pissed off. The first time I got a D, he, he no sports. And the school was like, uh, Mr. Williams, you have to play two sports. That's the requirement. But we'll make sure he get his extra work in and, and stuff like that. But basketball and football was the first things that were taken away from me. So it was never sports. It was always about the environment and the opportunity to see something different. So you played football there also? Yep. I played until until eighth grade. I stopped. Oh, okay. Eighth grade. <laughs> Varsity, those guys got – I went by the weight room one day. And so it was a little serious, so. No, listen, baby, it's admirable that you stuck that out. I, I know that transition could have been, uh, should have been, and was difficult for you. Every year, seventh grade, I was leaving. Eighth grade, I was leaving. Ninth, every year until Coach Finnerty got there, and that's when you know Coach Finnerty and I, like he just, he and Mr. McVeigh just really were heaven sent, and and I was ready to leave. So it was very challenging. That's a cool story, but the, and also a cool story is you get to Villanova. Now Steve Lapis takes over the program, and uh, you know before Villanova would not look into uh, at city, Philadelphia City players, all of a sudden Lapis starts lining them up, and, and he gets you and he gets Jason Lawson, but he also gets Tim Thomas, who was one of the you know he was going to be a one and done player, uh, and then he gets Chuck Cornegay as a transfer from from NC State. And uh, and then Celestan from New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's a great. You're, Alvin Williams, John Celestan, Tim Thomas, Jason Lawson, Chuck Cornegay, and off the bench, Howard Brown from Pottstown, and Malik Allen from South Jersey. Now that's a squad. Yeah. And I, and I look and I go, oh, you were twenty four and ten. You won the Big East that year. I think you lost the title, uh, the Big East cha- uh, uh, tournament to Boston College. How did you lose ten games with that team? And then you go to the NCAA tournament. Do you? Re- I mean, when you look back at that, do you guys think you should have won more with that team? Yeah, for sure. But you, <laughs> then all the names you you named, that was probably our worst. Well, my freshman year, that was my senior year. We we lost to Kerry Kittles, and we lost of Eric Ebers, and one of the guys from Philadelphia that went to Germantown Friends. We lost Jonathan Haynes. Jonathan Haynes was out to Temple, went to Temple, and then transferred. But he was our leader. Kerry Kittles and Eric Ebers was, was our outside shooters. Once they left, our leadership wasn't there. I tried to take on that role, but I wasn't the leader of John Haynes. And I dang sure wasn't the shooter of a Kerry Kittles and, and Eric Ebers. So our offense was predicated a lot of motion offense and things like that. We had Tim Thomas. We had Jay. We had a lot of size, but we just couldn't. When it was time to really win those big games, we just couldn't pull it together, but we were a threat. We played hard. Coach Lapp did what he could do for that team, but we just we lost a lot that people really don't consider going into that senior year. Yeah, I, I look at that team. I said that's an immensely talented team, and the, so you get to go to the NCAA tournament. I forget what seed you were. Win the first game. Well, what you were four seed. I think we were the fourth seed. That's a pretty good seed. So you win the first game, and you come up against Cal. Now, my producer Darren would not know this. You guys lose to Cal. Their star player, Darren, was at all, is a Hall of Fame football tight end. <laughs> Tony Gonzalez was their, was their star player. And he had tw- 
He had 23 against you guys in that game. Alba, what do you remember about the NCAA tournament game? Uh, freaking killed me, man. I remember. I remember. So going into that game and we were scout report and Coach Lapp mentioned. And we had Coach Coach John Leonard and Coach Steve Pannone and Coach Paul Hewitt. We had a great coaching staff. And they were telling them they had one guy that year that scored over 15 points, 60 points, I think, Ed Gray. And he broke his ankle. So he wasn't playing. Yeah, he was a good so, player, Gray. Yeah. He was a very good player. And the other guy, they were like, yeah, they have a they have a guy that he plays three football guy. He, you know, he really plays football, but you know, that was pretty much it. So we're playing, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> this dude's kicking out. He's physical. Like Tim Thomas couldn't do anything with him. He was just really physical. Getting Tim Thomas up in the air, pump faking, and getting Tim in foul trouble and stuff like that. And then we just Looked at the end of the box score, and he had 23 points. So I'm like, all right, well, I was pissed off. But I didn't realize I was really pissed when I looked at the game finally two years later, and he averaged about four points that season. So I'm like, Tony Gonzalez was kicked out butts. But at least I can say it was Tony Gonzalez. Not- <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so, Alan, let's say, uh, tell me about your, your Academy of Hoops, which is a great program. I, you know, I love the, the effort that you guys put in to give back. Uh, a lot of you guys have done it, Mark Jackson, and, you know, guys are your contemporaries. Uh, tell me about the, the program and, and what you're doing with it. Oh, it's just something we started right pretty much after I retired and it came back in the area. And this one, the AAU craze was something. It's been going on forever, but I really started looking into it and I started thinking that kids weren't really learning how to play. And more importantly, when I grew up, you know, Sunny Hill League, the Total Response League, the Sunny Hill and John Cheney camps, it was always more than basketball. It was teaching us life lessons through basketball and teaching us how to respect you know, adults and how to respect the game plan, prepare and, you know, how to be coach and how to play with teammates. So we've always done that, right? That was the biggest part. But it's transitioning now along with Academy of Hoops and it's another group called Team 100 where we're doing an event this summer when we're going to have panel discussions and we're going to have breakout rooms and, and guest speakers come speak to parents and the kids about the roadmap to becoming the next level as a student athlete. And like socially, academically, you know, athletically, what are these things, what are required and what are these things you're going to come into when it goes to about going to the next level? Not the NBA, but just that next phase, because there's so many life lessons. There's so many career opportunities, but there's so many lessons in general that you can learn through sport that I think people are missing. They look at the end of goal, the end goal, how much money and where they like is so much more. So. That's, those are the things I'm going to get some experts in different fields and some parents to speak on what it's like to be a parent of a student athlete. I've done some great interviews with Jalen Brunson and, and um, DeAndre Hunter and his family, and, and they just talked about it. And also the siblings. Some siblings, they get caught up in trying to follow the footsteps of the person that's doing really big things that have the notoriety, but that may not be their path. And does that damage some of the family dynamics? So it's always trying to keep that family together through information. So that's something that the Academy of Hoops and Team 100 is doing, and I'm excited to get that first that first event off in September. It's very cool. What's the website that people can get in touch with it? There's no website. Okay. All <laughs> right. So it's just like if you Google Academy of Hoops, there's, you can get in touch with somebody, right? Get in touch with me, Academy Hoops, but I, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'm getting more and more of these things going. But the website and all that stuff, man, 
once the pandemic hit, I just, everything just lapsed and I never got it going, but things are really going forward with everything. So cool. no, no website, maybe some social media accounts or something that'll be coming soon. All right. So keep, keep your, your eyes peeled for Academy Hoops. Good. It's good stuff. Uh, Alvin, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming on. We got, that's great insight. Great to talk with you. Continue success in your basketball life. And, uh, you know, so uh, you'll, you'll be, you'll be having to commentate on, on Nick Nurse with the Sixers as you're doing a Raptors game. That's weird. I'm going to give all the secrets to everyone. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'll talk to you up the road. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Alvin Williams, good dude, good story. Raptors analyst now with Nick Nurse as the head coach of Philadelphia 76ers. It's time for Mike Unleashed. Got a couple things on Mike Unleashed. Let's go back to the NBA playoffs. I want to talk about a guy named Joe Mazzulla. He's the head coach of the Boston Celtics. By the way, I think he'll be back as the head coach of the Boston Celtics. He rallied. They won three games. They got to game seven. That saved his job probably. Here's my thing about Joe Mazzulla because everybody looks at him and goes, this guy's a freaking grump. He's nasty. It's like, and, and and here's the thing about that: when you're a young coach, you probably get less leeway on that kind of thing. See, if you're a guy like Nick Saban, you've won. You got like Bobby Knight, who's won. You're a Popovich. You, you're a Belichick. You can be a bastard. Nobody's gonna hold you accountable for that, and nobody can get. But when you're a young coach and you try to shove it up a reporter's nose, you get less leeway. You get less of a break. And when you do that, they're human. They get irritated. So they're going to more, be more inclined to come up with negative stories about you. And it's not smart. You don't need that kind of thing. So, like, they asked them after the game. I know. It's, they lo- just lost the game, right? One of the reasons they lost the game, they're very undisciplined taking three-point shots. They're just jacking up threes. Not great threes either. So, yeah, where you think your team has to be a little less reliant on the three-point shot? He's got the stern, Belichick. Uh, uh, Saban face. He says, "No," and then turns away. We're we're the next question. You can't do that, Joe. You can't do that. That Guy's gonna get, huh? Son of a bitch made me look bad in that press conference. So you know, maybe there's a story I'll write down a row where I don't give him the benefit of the doubt. It's just not smart, and he's gonna have to be counseled by Brad Stevens in the off season to cut that kind of stuff out. He is not a professional coach at this point. He's learning on the job. One of the things he must learn is that you ain't Belichick. You ain't Popovich, Joe. All right, let's move on to LeBron. I'm a big LeBron guy, but he's starting to irritate me. I don't understand guys that are at the top of their profession and they still have this woe is me attitude. Like everybody has to cater to them. LeBron James is either going to be considered the best player in the game history or the second best player in the game history. No one's going to change that, and no one's going to change the perception. The people that think Michael Jordan's the best are always going to think Michael Jordan's the best. The younger generation maybe think LeBron's best. It doesn't really matter. When you're of that echelon, why do you care? Why are you so sensitive about it? Let me tell you what he did recently. He uh, tweets out a cryptic message, which happens to be a, a lyric from a Jay-Z song. Uh, and it says, that it's, the song is for, uh, what more can I say? For you uh, people who aren't Jay-Z fans, like Darren would never know that lyric, right? So, so he, he tweets out this. I'm supposed to be number one on everybody list. That's the lyric. We'll see what happens when I no longer exist. 
And he throws that out there and says, oh, oh, my God, LeBron might leave the league. He might leave the league. The league is not going to go on. LeBron, you don't. Come on, man. You're bigger than that kind of stuff. you got to be more secure to know your place in NBA history. There are people that aren't going to think you're the best ever if that's what you're after. You've said it many times. You're the best player ever. You think you're better than Michael Jordan. That's fine. You can think that. But you're going to be in the conversation from here until time. You know, here until eternity, you're going to be in that conversation. That's not enough. It's like Tiger Woods is the same thing. Like what, like, what do you have to bitch about? You're the greatest golfer ever. Why is there any semblance of a woe is me? You know, I don't understand. These guys at the top of their profession have this kind of attitude. So, uh, LeBron, chill out, man. Like, uh, <laughs> you, Here's the bottom line. You're coming back. You're not retiring. The whole world knows it. So you have to throw this passive-aggressive thing out there to say, well, oh, God, we're going to miss LeBron if he retires. Oh, my God, I can't sleep at night knowing that he's going to retire. He's not. You're not going to retire. The, the jig is up on that. We already know it. Because if you retire, this brawny dream goes right out the window. All right? So I know it. Uh, you're going to be back, and uh, you don't need to post Jay-Z lyrics that make you look like, you know, the pariah. It's like, it's, that ship has sailed already, brother. Uh, all right. Let's... Uh, Let's go to uh, Scott Rowland. A lot of people are asking me. A lot of people are peeved about this. Um, Scott Rowland is going to go into Philly's Wall of Fame. Now, I, I, I look at this practically. I, I'm not a Scott Rowland fan. I, I think he turned into one of the biggest rats I've ever seen from being a nice guy coming up to what by the time he left, he was a bastard. Um, I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame either, but that wasn't my call. But... If a guy gets in the Hall of Fame and he's a Philly and half his numbers came as a Philly, how in the world do you justify not putting him on the Phillies Wall of Fame? He's in the Cooperstown Wall of Fame, for crying out loud. So he's got to go on. We might not like it. And I don't know what the reception is going to be for Scott Rowland when he comes here and he, he's inducted it onto that Wall of Fame because they're going to have to have a ceremony. He's going to have to be introduced. I assume there's going to be some kind of a smattering of booze over it, but you can't not have him on the Wall of Fame. Darren, am I right? Uh, first, uh, I, I've thought about this all night, and I think you're right. You have to at least put him up there. Two things. One, I genuinely believe there's at least a 70% chance that he doesn't show for this presentation. No. Well, they're having a special May day. Uh, so, it. so it's not like he's not he's not going to be inducted with the other wall of fame. Uh, but who guys. are we talking about here? That's one. Number two. <laughs> two. You say a smattering of booze? There are going to be 30,000 strong booing him. Thirty thousand. You know what? Maybe he realizes that. Maybe that's why he won't come. But I got to think that this has all been paved out anyway. They just wouldn't name him the Wall of Fame and not confer with him on whether he's going to come. So I think they're going to have that day, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, he may smile through it too. At this point, he's in the Hall of Fame. What's he care? Uh, all right. Anyway, that was that was a uh, a lot of people were were hitting me up on Twitter. Do you think he belongs on the wall? Yes, he's. You gotta, if he's in the Hall of Fame, he's got to be on the Wall of Fame. The Wall of Fame is not bigger than the Hall of Fame. All right. Uh, succession, the finale was last Sunday. Um, if you haven't, it doesn't matter what happened in it. It was, it was brilliant. It was a brilliant finale. And the show was the most brilliantly written show in the history of television. And it it has moved now up on my list of all all time great shows. 
there's no question in my mind it was the best written show. Okay. So where it where it lies on my top five of all time TV shows, uh, it moved up to third. All right. The, it, no, for me, nothing will ever eclipse the wire. And I got the Sopranos with a slight edge in the two hole. Uh, Succession is third of all time in my book. Narcos is fourth. And I'm just going to go because it's, it's not my bag, but it was so brilliantly done with cinematography. You know, Game of Thrones has to get in it as an epic for, for my, my fifth spot. Now, Darren, you heard those five. Do you agree? You're going to hate me for this. Uh, and a lot of my friends are going to hate me. Breaking Bad, by the way, lopped out of the top five. Succession knocked Breaking Bad. Yeah, right Breaking out. Bad for me, I watched that different. My wife and I, Marie and I watched that. We watched the whole series in about three months. And when you watch that much death and meth, like I was, I couldn't wait for it to be over. But uh, I'll tell you one show that had a couple really bad seasons because of it. I can't put it in the top five, and that's The Sopranos. They had two horrendous, horrible, unwatchable seasons. The one where Jackie Jr. goes to college. Yeah, no, no season of The Sopranos was I'm, unwatchable. Yes, there was on two seasons. No, no it but wasn't. I, there's a couple shows I think uh, – I love Succession, by the way. I thought it was a brilliant ending. Uh, the right, I agree with you. Fearless writing in, in, from episode one of se- season one to the last episode. I'm going to miss those characters as deplorable as they were. I'm going to miss Kieran Culkin's character. Kieran Culkin's Roman Roy is one of the greatest characters ever written. Yeah, I listen. Uh, there's a couple of people that say I couldn't get into it. I go, what? I, what did you not get into? The writing is so captivating; it lifts you on a magic carpet ride. That's how good the writing is on it. Uh, but anyway, there you go. I just had to bring that in. All right, now Memorial Day weekend just passed. I, I hope everybody had a good Memorial Day weekend. I had a really good uh, event at uh, the winery that I'm a part owner of. It's called Natalie Vineyards in Cape May Courthouse, uh, New Jersey. And it was called Cellar Talk with Mike Missinelli. And I appreciate so much the people that came out to hang out with me. I mean, people are great. I sat with a lot of them and chatted. And, and a guy brought me, it's funny how, how people remember things. So this guy remembered uh, my love for the Godfather movie. The guy goes, I give a gift for you. Uh, what, what is it? So he brings me over this bag, and I'm going to show it to to or, or stream. You can't see it. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I put it on Twitter, uh, but but there it is. It's Jenko olive oil. <laughs> now, if in the Godfather, if you remember, they were olive oil importers in Godfather Two. They go to Italy and they had to get uh, Don Cheech's blessing to do business as Jenko olive oil. The, the concierge at the time was Jenko. Uh, uh, Pop got Jenko. Look who I got. If you remember Sonny Corleone uh, spouting that off <laughs> when he was ripping Tom Hagen. So uh, it was Jenko Olive Oil. It, when they went there, before, oh, yeah. before they stuck the knife, <laughs> before Vito st- stuck the knife in Don Cheech's belly and cut his whole innards out, uh, uh, Jenko brought the, the, the can of olive oil, Jenko Olive Oil, uh, how they marketed it in America. And the guy brought me, now, I don't know where he got this, but it's the Sicilian olive oil. Somebody's marketing it as Jenko Olive Oil. But I want to thank the guy's name was Gary. Thanks for showing up, and thanks for all the people that came to the winery to hang out with me uh, on Saturday. Darren did not, however, uh, even though he was uh, supposed to, did not uh, hang out. He had other he had other plans. My my lives uh, are dictated know. by my daughters, as you well know, right now. So things uh-huh. came up. Yeah, he had other plans. He couldn't make it. He, he texted me at four o'clock in the afternoon when the when the event only had one more hour left. <laughs> Hold on. You were supposed to hang out with me and Johnny Clark Saturday night. You ba- you bagged yeah, on us on that one too. Really nice. 
It's really nice. So but my point is, if you're in the neighborhood of K May Courthouse, New Jersey, or down the shore, take, take a day trip out there, man. It's a nice day. Get to the Natalie Vineyards, drop my name. They'll give you, you know, a dollar off the wine. You go through a sampler of the wine. It's going to be, it's fantastic. It's a nice place to hang out outside. I was hanging out with my buddy Tom Stathakis, and a, a lot of people came over. My, my home uh, town friend Chuck was there. Uh, it, it was cool to hang out with a lot, a lot of people. So thanks, everybody, for coming. All right, let's close it down. Uh, this podcast, of course, is brought to us by Bet Rivers. I've already bet the Denver Nuggets, as I told you before. I actually bet the Heat in Game 7, by the way. Uh, so I coll- I'm on a, a winning streak right now. I got Denver winning it in five. In Mike, I have a nugget for you on the NBA Finals. Got a nugget on the Nuggets? Pat Riley, right? This is his 19th Finals, either as a coach mm-hmm a player, an assistant, or an executive. His 19th NBA Finals. That accounts for 25% of all NBA Finals Pat Riley involved. Yeah, that percentage is going lower this year. They're getting smoked in five games by the, by the best team in the NBA. I didn't say win. I said involved. <laughs> Denver Nuggets. Congratulations to Pat. Yeah, slick back the hair and get ready to get beaten five. Uh, all right, so uh, – uh, don't forget, tallyvineyards.com uh, um, is how you uh, can get the website. You can order wine right online. And I also want to tell you about the naturallawn.com because my lawn's looking spectacular thanks to my friends at Natural Lawn. They just put the mosquito uh, control on, which kills the larvae. You don't have to worry about mosquitoes for the rest of the summer. In addition to putting natural ingredients to fortify your lawn, your lawn's going to look amazing. Just go to naturallawn.com. Uh, you can reach me uh, on uh, my website, mikemiss.com. You can check out all the things that's going on. I've got a weekly video blog uh, going on. Every Friday I do a weekly video blog wrapping up the week that we've talked about here. You can subscribe for free. You can also email me at mike uh, mike at mike miss.com well check me out on twitter at mike miss two five uh you can get my book the adventures of shima the sheba just go online go to amazon.com put that in go to barnesandnoble.com i've reduced the price of it for people uh, very uh, affordable now a great kids book i'm proud of it and uh uh we're gonna have some news coming up on how you can get mike missinelli podcast hats and and quarter zips and golf shirts. That's right. Stay tuned, and we're going to give them away. We're going to have some, we're going to have some contests. We're going to give them away. It's going to be fantastic. It's all going to be in conjunction with my website. So stay tuned for news on that. The logo looks fantastic on a hat. I showed Darren. Did you see it, Darren? A little earlier. Yeah, it's beautiful. Put, put a beige one aside for me, will you? Yeah, the, it's like a beautiful the logo on the hat. I want to I want to spread the word on the Mike Masselli podcast. All right, everybody, have a great rest of the uh, week. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And uh, that this was podcast. What was this podcast number? Eighty something. Unbelievable. It was number eighty four. So eighty four. So stay tuned for the next one coming up soon. Have a great day, everybody. Be nice to everybody. Be kind out there, and we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.